listening to the Faithful Plate Podcast, a show that exists at the intersections of faith, food, and everything else in between. My name is Siad Wells. Thank you so much, as always, like I say at the beginning of every episode, for listening, for learning, for growing, for being in dialogue and conversation with me and with community. It's, it's been so beautiful to see, and I'm really excited for what I'm going to share with you today. Today, I am going to share an interview that I did with the now co-executive director of Creation Justice Ministries, Avery Davis-Lamb. And we had a really beautiful conversation about his work there, also but about hope and just about how we can be a climate resilient place and community. So without any further ado, here's our interview with Avery. So Avery, thank you so much for joining me for an interview for the Faithful Plate podcast. I was wondering if you could introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, thanks so much, Siad. It's so good to be here. So I'm Avery Lamb. I'm the co-executive director of Creation Justice Ministries. And our mission is to work with Christian denominations, communions, institutions, and individuals to protect, restore, and rightly share God's creation. So we work with a number of different denominations and communions. We um, have a historical relationship with the National Council of Churches, and so very ecumenical in our membership. And uh, that would be 38, a total of 38 different denominations and communions running the gamut from Orthodox to Reformed to Mainline and everywhere in between. I have to ask, is your co-executive directorship, is that new? It is. Okay, because yes. I was like, I don't think that he's always been in that position. I was, but maybe I it just, is. I really it is brand it. spanking new. Just uh, Monday is. Oh when wow! Okay. So okay. yeah, Monday. You, you're getting wow. hot off the press right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really exciting. Um, yeah, yeah. So what what is you started there? Not as executive director, obviously, but what were you doing before this new yeah. um, kind of role? So before I was the resilience program coordinator for Creation Justice Ministries. And happy to share more about that program, if you'd like. Yeah, please, please. Yeah, so last May, we launched the, launched the Climate Resilience Program at Creation Justice Ministries. And the reason we launched it is because, you know, the last few years, it's become so clear that the climate crisis is not something far off, that the climate crisis is here, and it's making itself felt in our communities. I mean, we... Just right now, you know, there's there's simultaneous climate disasters. There's a hurricane forming in the Atlantic. There's record, all-time record temperatures all across the West Coast. Um, wildfire season hasn't even technically started yet. And it's already, you know, projected to be the worst fire season ever. So it's clear that the climate crisis is here and it is um, devastating communities. And so what is the church to do? 
And so we're, we're centering this question, which is how can our churches be hubs of climate resilience, helping their communities weather both the physical and the spiritual storms of the climate crisis? So recognizing that faith communities, you know, where Christian organizations were focusing mostly on churches, but it's true of all faith communities, have physical, social, and spiritual assets that can help their communities adapt, change, um, be resilient to the new realities of the climate crisis. How do you go about communicating the idea of climate resiliency to you know, not only congregations, but also to individuals who I assume are interested in the work as well. Yeah, well, you know, one of the realities that I think is beneficial from a communications perspective is that it's so clear to see how climate change is affecting us now. Um, so, so much of our communication is grounded in the reality that we're surrounded by climate disasters. And, you know, most of the United States is directly affected. And for those who are not yet directly affected, you know, they have friends and family and, you know, members of their congregation who are. So it's, it's about kind of directing people's attention to the truth beneath the surface that, you know, it's, it's the iceberg. We see the events happening above the water. So let's talk about both what's causing those events below the water, being climate change, and let's talk about how we can be agents of hospitality, of love, how we can embody our Christian values, both in response to these disasters and in preparation, understanding that they're only going to get worse. Is it that congregations come to creation justice or do you all seek out organizations and, and congregations and communities to work with? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really both, you know, um, we launched this program a year ago, so it's, it's mm -hmm. relatively young. So we've just been really doing a lot of education. So we host a monthly virtual workshop series where we talk about different aspects of resilience and um, you know, we've provided educational resources that are theologically rooted and also uh, practical for implementing in a congregational setting. And so right now it's very much in a, in a movement building space and in an educational space, um, just helping folks understand what is climate resilience? What can I do? Uh, because of that, you know, there's, there's been a great response. We've had a lot of congregations reaching out, wanting more support wanting real kind of on the ground training for how do we implement resilience in our congregation. And so that's something we started uh, dipping our toes into that we're hoping to move into both uh, providing that support through creation justice ministries and partnering with just really phenomenal grassroots climate justice organizations who can, can be on the ground. How did you come to this work? Was there a moment in your life where it was like, ah, oh, the environment, I, I need to care about this, or was it a little less direct? <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks for the question. Um, I, I do have my moment of ecological conversion. Oh, I love like that, ecological conversion, that's, okay. Uh, yeah, I can't take credit for that. I'll also give credit to Pope Francis for that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, so I, um, you know, I grew up in the church. I grew up going to Southern Baptist Church and, you know, did not talk about the environment as a part of faith. And yet also grew up, you know, in a family that highly valued sustainability and valued connection with the earth. But it wasn't until um, a winter break when I was doing my undergrad that I, I went to a, an evangelical conference in Kansas City and um, just sort of got, got hit in the face by God, I guess, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> and um, it just, it occurred to me that, that no one at the conference was talking about um, the earth and the environment as an expression of faith. And, you know, they're talking about other social issues, global poverty, human trafficking. But, you know, I, I looked around and, and it, I don't, I, it's, it's hard to explain. That's why, that's why I think it was God. But, but it just occurred to me that there's such a gaping hole in what my religious upbringing uh, had offered around actually, you know, relating um, my, my care and love for creation and my desire to heal creation with, with my faith. And so they're both present, but in that moment, it felt like they, you know, they're coming together and they're finally overlapped. And so I went away from that, just feeling a real call on my life to, you know, first just learn more, read from, of course, there's so many um, authors and thinkers and theologians who have been working on this forever <laughs> since mm-hmm. the beginning mm-hmm. of Christianity. <laughs> You know, so to learn from them and to also start engaging and organizing and, you know, helping folks similar to me with a background like mine, you know, start to, to see how caring for the world beyond humans and, and, you know, the environment as it relates to humans, of course, as well, um, how that's not uh, a departure from our faith, but how it's a deeper expression of our faith. For someone who is new to this kind of space and and they're new to the idea that yeah as a christian or a person of faith there is a theological foundation upon which i can advocate for this like what do you say to them and and how do you guide someone who is kind of new yeah i mean the great thing is that we have scriptures that we can look to and and then see the call that the scriptures make on our life. I I, w- I would point, um, well, I do. I I always point people to the Genesis two creation story, mm-hmm. which has been so important to me. You know, but what we see in that story is God as a gardener who kneels down into the earth and scoops up soil and breathes into that soil in order to create the first human. And in fact, that first human's name, Adam or Adam is related to the word for soil in Hebrew, Adama. So literally the translation of Adam is dirt being or, or earthling. <laughs> you know, so there's, there's that linguistic tie at the beginning. And then, you know, you read just a few verses down. What's the first command that God gives to Adam? It's to, in many of our translations, it says to till and to keep the soil. Mm. But a, a translation that one of my, my favorite Old Testament theologians, Ellen Davis, says is to, to serve and preserve. And that's the Hebrew words, um, shamar and, can't remember the other one, <laughs> <laughs> abad, abad and shamar, yes, to, to serve and preserve. So, 
you know, there it is right at the beginning in our origin story, our creation story. We're made from dirt. And God says to the, the dirtling, that, that um, prototypical human, the one to whom, you know, the story tells that, that we all derive from, to serve and preserve the soil. But that's the first commandment in the Garden of Eden. And so, again, we look at that and, you know, that's got to be central to our expression of faith. Caring for all of creation, caring for the humans, caring for the non-humans, and ensuring that we are sustaining this world, which is a gift from God that is not ours to exploit and appropriate, but is ours to take care of and lovingly cultivate and to steward. The One of the things that I really love about the work that you all do at Creation Justice Ministries is that it's so action focused and oriented i, I get I've, I've been on the email list for a long time and, uh, so you, you, know, you, see, you get a lot of emails from us <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know i'll see like oh it's it's climate action day or it's it's this yeah. and that and you know thinking back to this idea that we've been called to serve and preserve what are the everyday actions that that you do and that you call people to do in order to do this work i'm thinking recycling which is which is debatable of whether or not that does anything <laughs> for the environment by the standards of many but yeah like what are those everyday actions yeah you know I, I have to say the most important everyday action for us to do is to cultivate our love for the world mm. and I think that's something that Christians really bring to the environmental movement too as a recognition that individual actions do matter because they're creating in us a love for something beyond ourselves. So, you know, finding time to connect with those parts of creation that we love and, you know, much of that is, is non-human finding opportunities to connect with the world beyond our human world, but, you know, much of it is human as well. And, connecting with our fellow humans and seeing how they're affected by environmental injustices that are happening around us, listening to, you know, folks who are on the front lines of climate change. And, and we don't have to look very far to, to listen and hear those stories. Um, and the hope is that that kind of, that rendering of our heart will, by the grace of God, turn into something more. You know, I think the important part is not to just not to stop at the individual actions, but to, to you know, join in um, community, the communities of people who are engaging in um, engaging in advocacy for a more um, beautiful, a more beautiful and just world, a cleaner world, um, who are working at their churches to house people who are displaced from climate disasters or to um, provide cooling shelters for heat waves. Um, You know, just thinking about ways that those communities that we're a part of can rethink their mission in light of the climate crisis. But again, it, it starts with the heart. It starts with cultivating our relationship and our love for creation.
how much of this individual and kind of corporate um, praying do you feel like goes into creating that and how do people do do that how do they cultivate this care and love for you know uh, humans and our animal friends yeah you know um i think a lot of it is where we spend our time i think our where we spend our time is a reflection of what we love and value and um finding time to be in a state of prayer, not only kind of in the individualistic me and God kind of way, but, but like you said, um, corporate prayer with other people, corporate prayer um, with other non-humans, I would say, I think is, is a, a growing edge for some of us, but really, you know, going out and, you know, praying with the birds who are singing, praying with the trees. And, you know, it's not a nature worship situation, but it's recognizing that these are gifts from God, that, that these are, you know, God's beautiful creation is out here. And it's a gift that God loves. And it's a gift that God wants us to steward. Um, and just like us, they also come from and will return to the soil. So it's about kind of, um, you know, pulling back our blinders and looking beyond our very human world to what is going on outside of our, our concrete structures. Mm -hmm. How do you tell people that it is okay to care about all of these things because it can seem like oh we we have so many things to care about yes we're caring about the climate but we're also caring about um homelessness which which i think it really ties into caring about the environment um but you know like how do you tell somebody that no or yes the these this is important as well and you should care about this yeah yeah you know i think one of the most important things to recognize is just the intersections of the climate crisis and other crises. Um, and I think this is something that the environmental movement is getting better at, mm. but that needs to get better at as well as, is recognizing that, you know, fighting for racial justice, fighting for housing justice, immigration justice, all of that is climate justice. Because at the end of the day, climate change is going to make all of these issues more important. It is going to, you know, we're already seeing how it's affecting um, immigration, migration patterns. Um, if you look at the root causes of the, you know, the so-called border crisis, it's related to climate change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, of course, people of color are disproportionately affected both by the effects of climate change and by pollution. Um, and, you know, there's, there's several ways it intersects with housing justice, but one of them is just looking at heat waves. You know, when a heat wave comes through a city and unhoused people don't have 
an air conditioned place to go to, then they're so much more likely to be severely injured or to die. So, you know, I think it's all about building power in partnership with folks who care about these other issues. None of these things are isolated. There's so many different issues that, that we need to be fighting for and we can build power together. You know, we don't all have to be environmentalists for us all to be fighting for a more just and a more beautiful world. Mm-hmm. Thinking about partners, partnering organizations, I believe that you all do some kind of really public lobbying, if I can call it that. I don't, I don't want to be like, yeah, but you we, all we use the word, we, we call it, it's, it's more like advocacy. Advocacy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, could you talk about that as, as an avenue for, you know, climate justice and environmental justice and things like that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think the first thing that I want to say is that um, advocacy is an important expression of our faith because policies are a reflection of the values of our country. And as people of faith, if we value justice and equity and a beautiful world, then we ought to be advocating for policies that create that just and beautiful and equitable world. And so, you know, we cannot disengage from the policymaking process. I think it's important for us to share our values and to speak out as people of faith um, so that, you know, the structures and the systems, the powers and principalities, if you will, of this world um, are, are shaped in a way that, that lifts people up instead of pushes them down. So yeah, so we're very involved in policy advocacy um, on multiple issues. Of course, we work on climate change. We've talked about that a lot, but mm-hmm. um, we also advocate for better access for public lands, especially around access for marginalized groups who have historically not had access for um, protection of uh, the oceans and coasts, both because of sustaining you know, God's marine creation as a gift, but also we know that by protecting the coastline and by um, preserving wetlands and salt marshes and seagrasses that it buffers human populations against the worst effects of climate change. Um, And also ensuring that as we transition into a clean energy economy, which we have to do as fast as absolutely possible, that we are providing a just transition for those who are most affected by the transition. So ensuring that, you know, folks who are currently working in fossil fuel jobs, for example, are, are, you know, given the opportunity to have training, to have jobs in a clean energy economy, um, that frontline communities who have relied on extraction are, you know, not just left behind, but are prioritized because it's not their fault that, mm-hmm. that the economy was built off of extraction. Um, and so we, we ought to be you know, lifting them up along the way. How do you continue to stay encouraged in the kind of public policy advocacy work when it might seem that every day there's a policy that, you know, counteracts the the very one that you've been advocating for? Mm. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, there's the broader question too of how I stay hopeful in general <laughs> or <laughs> encouraged in general, but, but I'll, I'll limit it to the policy realm um, and just say, you know, there's in this current moment, there are so many environmental, um, so much, in, there's so much environmental legislation that I can't keep up with it all. And so it's actually a very, it's, it's a very hopeful moment in, in my mind. Of course, there's a lot of work to be done to ensure that it stays that way and to ensure that those policies are equitable and just. Um, but, you know, I'm hopeful because this is, this is the moment. This, you know, we we're losing time. Um, if it's ever going to happen, it's going to happen now. And I'm encouraged by the climate advocates who I work with, by the, you know, environmental policy organizations who we partner with. Um, and, you know, as much as I don't want to say this, I'm, I'm encouraged by, you know, some of our politicians, too, um, because it seems like they're finally getting the message that climate change must be top of the agenda. Um, and, you know, I'm hopeful that they'll follow through on that. I appreciate your hopefulness. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I am too hopeful, but um, yeah, there are moments where I'm like, oh, are people listening? But I, yeah. I think that, I think that's yeah. Well, and, and I, you know, I, I do want to clarify kind of around, I, I think about hope a lot. Um, and not in a positive way, <laughs> I should say. Um, and I've, I think I've come around on the language of hope. I think I, I don't like to think of hope as optimism. Mm. Um, I think that's a secularization of the word hope. But hope for me is the, you know, the belief that by the grace of God, our efforts will somehow be redeemed. That there's, there's something working beyond us that, you know, will provide some kind of transformation and that we have to work and we have to fight for a more beautiful and a more just world. And we have to partner, you know, with God in bringing that around and that, you know, something will come out of destruction, the transformation will come out of death because that's what the biblical story shows me. And so it's, it's kind of a, a radical hope. Um, it's, it's hard to hold on to, um, but I'm doing my best to hold on to it. Mm. Briefly, I want to discuss food because this Wait. podcast is kind of tangentially about food. And I want to know what, what is your favorite food? Mm -hmm. And do you have any or make any special considerations around what you eat because of your work in climate justice? Yeah, yeah. Okay, my favorite food is definitely a good falafel wrap. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. I, just, I love Mediterranean food in general. Like, I probably go through like a pound of hummus a week. Oh. Um so give me some, give me some fried chickpeas and, uh, I'm game. So yeah, good Mediterranean food, especially a good falafel wrap. Um, yeah, so I am vegetarian. I've been vegetarian for, 
about eight years now. Um, and that's definitely an expression of, of my concern for the climate. Um, I also, you know, up until this week when I started this new job, I've been working a few hours a week on a farm here in Durham because, you know, probably the most important thing for me is to feel a connection with the food that I'm eating. Of course, I'm not exclusively eating food from this farm, but, you know, feeling like I'm a part of the process of, of growing food and, and seeing what it's like to, you know, the, the difficulties, the, the labor, the, you know, the toil of working in the field, but also the beauty of growing it. And again, the grace of God, seeing the, the miracle of food that, you know, despite how ignorant we are, you know, how little we know that this beautiful, delicious, abundant food can come from the soil, much in the way that, that we came from the soil. So that's been really important to me, um, is to just maintain a connection to the ground. So do you cook a lot? Is that what you're telling me? Or you enjoy cooking? I do enjoy cooking. I do cook a lot. Yeah. Do you by chance watch cooking shows? Is that, um, no? not a ton, okay. you know, I, I enjoy the occasional chef's table episode, oh, but I, yeah, I, oh, I love that show. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I could be convinced though, if you have other recommendations. Oh, well, I'm really, really love top chef. Oh yeah. yeah that's and a classic. Yeah. Classic. I just, yeah. Top chef is my, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jam, but well, my last question is what do you want to be known for or what do you mm. hope to be known for going back to hope? Yeah. Oh, what an amazing question. I guess I hope to be known for lovingly guiding my fellow Christians in seeing that healing, restoring, protecting creation is a deeper commitment to our faith to be known for kind of yeah expanding our relationship beyond the human boundaries to see that the church doesn't just include the people who are sitting and standing around us but but includes you know this worldwide communion not only of believers, but of all humans and of all creatures. But that's all within the mission of the church. Mm. And that just as we love and care and provide hospitality for those who come in our doors on a Sunday, that we should do the same for our fellow creatures all around the world. Thank you. That was so beautiful. And thank you for everything that you shared with me and with whoever's listening and um it's yeah it's just so fun to get to talk to you and to learn more about this organization that I've <laughs> I've known about for a really long time and I I look forward to getting to know you better and being involved in in some kind of way and carrying out this this mission and this work so thank you yeah. Well, thank you, Siab. This has been such a great conversation. It's been good to get to know you a little bit and to be a guest on this show. Yeah. Awesome.
Well, I hope that you enjoyed our conversation. Again, thank you so much to Avery for sharing, for being in community with me and for all of us and for leading us on a a beautiful journey. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back with a new episode soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.